This episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast is brought to you by our new sponsor, Oakley. When you wear Oakley, there really is more than meets the eye. Don't trust me? Try it for yourself. I've worn a lot of sunglass brands in my life, and I can assure you that Oakley is not just the best looking, but the best quality out there. Head on over to oakley.com for more information today. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? It's your boy, John of the Macri, with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast, where we will go back in time in a little bit. I know nobody gets that yet, but you will very soon. Uh, joining me on this episode, um, recording live right now at 10 p.m. on Tuesday night from an undisclosed conference room in... Um, a hotel, I'm guessing, in uh, in in Chicago. It's a the athletics conference center. What? Giant huh? conference. It's a giant conference center. Oh, it's a giant where conference center. where you can only podcast from the least flattering angles of your own face. I think the I should just have to podcast. I think I should just have the podcast here the whole time. No, we'll see what. Fine. If if you're not watching on YouTube, you're missing out. So I'm yeah, I'm in I'm in a room with the laptop on my lap. We just had the lottery uh, and uh, I'm in Chicago and I'm in a room, laptop on my lap. And I, I brought my microphone because I was kind enough to give you the time. Who, who's and better than Fred Katz? So just we, about everybody. Most and of the <laughs> most of the athletic and everyone on the next beat. It wasn't what I was going to say. Um, most of the episode you're about to hear, we recorded uh, about 10 hours ago um, where Fred and I talk about all things that have nothing to do with the lottery. We talk about the Knicks and their off season and the season that they just had. And, and it's a very fun and good conversation, but we wanted to tee this thing off um, with uh, Fred's experience uh, with the, the NBA draft lottery, because he was one of the select 19, I believe it was media members to be backstage and witness the drawing, a drawing in which the New York Knicks uh, did not, get the Dallas Mavericks pick that will convey uh, or that will kick over to next year at least. Um, but you were still part of, I mean, I, I don't know how else to say it, a historic event in the uh, in history of the league. So I'm just going to toss it to you. What was it like being backstage, man, and, and seeing the seeing the drawing? It was really cool. It was really cool. I'm resting the phone, the uh, I'm resting That's the funny. computer like on my knee now. I've got my legs crossed. Feel like this might be a more friendly angle, but maybe the computer's shaking a little bit. I don't know. That might be worse. It's fine. Andrew's gonna it, have it's, to tell it's me. It's wonderful. I think it's. I think it's kind of a train wreck, but I feel like that's that's good. That's what you want. That's what you want. Andrew says you, we'll make it work in the chat. So it wasn't. Work. It wasn't as big of a train wreck as the Detroit Pistons uh, over the last seven months or eight months. Oh no, the fifth pick for the Pistons. It was really cool. So for those who don't know how it works. The actual drawing that you see on TV is not actually the lottery. It is it is the unveiling of the results of the lottery. The lottery is an actual lottery, like with a lottery machine, whatever you call it, and where they pump out the ping pong balls, and there's a guy up there saying three. 
five, 17, and well, not 17 because they're only was, 14 balls. Yeah. And, and, and so you, you go, there's an actual lottery in the back. And, and then all the people who are in the back, it's one representative per lottery team and a, a few media members as well. And, and some members of the NBA. And you have to go back there, no electronics, no phones, no nothing. Uh, and then you're sequestered in that room uh, f- until the TV broadcast is done. So I was one of the people back there. It was a really cool experience. You're allowed to bring a notebook and a pen. And uh, so I, I, I took some notes and wrote some stuff down. And uh, it, was, it was great. I really enjoyed that before I even went in there yesterday. I texted somebody who works in the NBA league office. Is there a bathroom in this sequester room? And he responded as if it was the most ridiculous question that he's ever heard and told what me that I should bring. No, no bathroom. Oh, he was okay. like, I would have. He was like, was well, you know, if, if you, re- if you really have an emergency, Fred, if you really can't control yourself for an hour and a half, then I guess we could have a security guard escort you to a nearby bathroom, I guess. So I was thinking for next year, I told the NBA this because I have no shame that next year, my story idea is I'm going to go in the drawing room in the lottery. And my story idea is I'm going to drink a gallon of water before I go in the drawing room. And I'm going to take seven coles and I'm going to write the story. I almost pissed and shit my pants at the lottery. And that's, that's going to be the story that I'm going to do. And uh, I'll be banned from journalism after. But I, I think it'll be worthwhile. So speaking of pissing and shitting oneself, um, who was the Spurs representative in the lottery room? And Bri- what was the Brian reaction? Wright, Brian Wright, their GM. Okay. Who was you would have thought that all that had happened was somebody offered him uh, you know, a free coffee at Starbucks. Seriously? It's nothing. Yeah, yeah. Nothing. Nothing. Wow. That's Nothing. unbelievable, especially considering the reaction of uh, Mr. Holt uh, mm-hmm. on the on the on the dais, as it were. Yep, I know he freaked out, and right, rightfully so. I love seeing the human reaction. <laughs> yeah, and I remember a few years back, 2019, the Zion draft, yeah. when the Pelicans won. Alvin Gentry was the guy back there for the Pels, and Alvin, who is one of the more outgoing personalities in the NBA world, Alvin lost his mind bugged he was he freaked out they were getting zion and uh no brian nothing he 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 told me after that he gave a little fist pump under the table but he said he was thinking to himself like don't react don't react don't react i will say one of the other reps in the room who was clearly very close with rc buford tried to ironically start a fuck rc chant That's actually phenomenal. Um, it was phenomenal. It was great. It was really funny. Um, it was it was really funny. Yeah, I tried to tried to ironically start that. Uh, obviously, nobody joined in, but a few people around him started laughing. Uh, it was it was it was a really interesting experience. You tweeted out that uh, so for, again for for those who don't know, like they they draw four combinations out of this uh, ping pong ball machine uh, until they get four different teams. But apparently they kept drawing the Spurs because the Spurs have, uh, so let's see, 14, they have 140 different combinations. So there's a possibility mm-hmm. they 
keep getting drawn. So they kept drawing Spurs combinations, I guess. For, yeah. For the different yeah. Players. So they they draw they drew the Spurs first, and then who had the second pick? Uh, the second pick that ended up going to uh, Charlotte, which is right. which is very interesting considering who the so they drew they drew Charlotte pick. second, and then they drew Portland third, and then they were when they were going for the for the for the fourth pick they drew san antonio again oh my goodness and the way it works is you know there are a thousand number combinations like with a lottery and 140 of them belong to the spurs because they have a 14 percent chance and 125 of them belong to charlotte because they have a 12 and a half percent chance and yeah. so on um you know dallas had 30 combinations because they have a three percent chance and so and, and and that's how math works and so <laughs> Feel like I feel like I didn't have to say the Dallas one. I feel like I really made my point after the first. No, you had two. to say the Dallas one. No, I think I think I I think I pretty much got my point. The Dallas part really hammered it in, you know. Uh, but uh, but yeah, so they they get Portland third, and 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 that got a little bit of a stir in the room. That was like a ooh, that was that was kind of like one of those. But there was, I was nothing a, raucous. Or I wasn't happy like about that. that. I was rooting against yeah. Portland in this on this night. Yeah, there was nothing raucous or anything like that. And then um, they went to the fourth drawing, and it was the Spurs again. Mm. And everyone, everyone was kind of like, oh. And, and so they draw again, and it was Charlotte again. Oh, okay. And so they had to do it again, and they draw again, and it was the Spurs <laughs> again. And then everyone was like, my goodness. And I, somebody said... Imagine that, being Detroit. Although at that point, I, get, I wonder if Detroit had already, like, we don't even... Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, and so, uh, yeah, at some point, somebody somebody said at that point, like, uh, you're gonna go said to Brian Wright, like, who's the GM of the Spurs? You you gonna go buy a real lottery ticket after this? And then, um, and then, uh, and then they they drew, drew again, and and it was Houston, yeah. uh, and that was that was kind of how it went. But I, there wasn't really everyone there keeps it kind of very professional. Okay, uh, so it was it was not raucous at all i would say the only time there was really a reaction to anything in the room was they what i didn't know happened was they bring in a tv and we get to watch the lottery like oh. we get to watch the tv show okay so we're all watching the tv show knowing the results seeing how everybody reacts and the only two times there were reactions in the room was when Peter Holt had his reaction on the stage and everybody in there was, was laughing. Everybody thought it was, was really funny how he reacted because it was. Yeah. And uh, the biggest reaction was when the, they drew the 14th pick on the TV broadcast and they pulled out the Pelicans and they showed David Griffin, who was on the dais. It was a VP runs you know pelicans front office and they showed david griffin on the dais and david griffin kind of goes like this kind of like pumps his fist and goes oh shucks and everybody in there laughs and one person goes he really thought he had a chance he really believed <laughs> like he had the worst odds in the lottery and everybody in the room was like oh man he really believed he was gonna do it of course he did you know? he won, he's won the thing how many freaking times <laughs> yeah exactly um well, that's well, that's I did want to. I can't believe I don't know this and I, that I didn't ask you before. Did the Knicks have a rep in the room? No, they don't. You only get a rep in the room if you have a chance to be in the top four. Oh, uh, that makes sense. Okay. 
So the Knicks, because they only do a drawing for the top four. That makes perfect sense. So because the Knicks couldn't have been in the top four because that Dallas pick was top 10 protected, then the Knicks don't have a rep in the room. But like, for example, Chicago had a rep in the room. Sure, yeah. Because Chicago, that pick that's going to Orlando now, the 11th pick, that was top four protected. So if Chicago had gotten into the top four, it would have been their pick. So Chicago had a rep. I feel like I should ask something about the Knicks not getting the pick, but what? What the? I mean, what is there to talk about? They, they had a chance to get the pick. They didn't get it. Now it goes. They had. Hey, I, I, I spoke to Michael Finley for a little bit after. Oh, that's cool. He, he had because Michael Finley was was Dallas's rep in there, and I was talking to him about it for a little while. And uh, very nice guy. And I uh, great player. He was. He was a really good player. And I, I, I talked to him about how like Dallas. He was an eighty percent free throw shooter. Dallas had an 80% chance of keeping the pick. I'm like, you probably never doubted whether a free throw was going in. He was like, yeah, I could control my free throws. This was totally out of my control. So it was a little anxiety producing. I was like, that's a, that's a great quote. That's a great concept. I love that. Even though it was the exact same chance. Like I, I love that. Well, you're going to write about uh, your experience back there uh, for the athletics. So everybody make sure you go uh, check that out. Uh, I don't know. Before I let you go to bring you back in time or something like that. Uh, anything else from your experience in the, in the lottery? Yeah. You know, we recorded that, that thing earlier today that thing, and the I podcast. Yeah. The podcast. I, I strongly considered coming on here tonight and spoiling the entire podcast. Just with what? Just, How would you just spoil saying, it? just saying every single take that I said this oh, morning on the podcast, just rifle just, them off. Yeah. 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 Just rifle off, there you go. just rifle off all the takes. But I, but I kind of spent this morning's podcast spoiling this part of the podcast, even though it hadn't happened yet. So, so Somehow. I feel like I did my duty. No, you've spoiled everything. Um, it's all it's all spoiled. Um, thank you for making the time to come back on and do this. Uh, and uh, on that note, uh, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with more Fred Katz. For over 30 years, the law offices of Weiss and Rosenblum in New York City has been home to a team of award-winning, hard-hitting injury attorneys who have a long track record of seven-figure results. Whether you've been injured in a car accident, fall, construction accident, or other traumatic event, Weiss and Rosenblum will work tirelessly to maximize the award, regardless of the severity of your injury, and get you and your family the fair and just compensation you deserve. Call Weiss and Rosenblum today at 212-366-6100. Again, that's 212-366-6100 or visit weissandrosenbloom.com for more information. No case is too big or too small. Personal attention to your matter is a priority. Once more, call 212-366-6100. Previous results do not guarantee future outcomes. If you think you might have a case, speak with a veteran attorney, not a rookie. What's up, Knicks fans? Quick break to tell you about Factor. During the spring season, you need wholesome, convenient meals to energize you for warmer, more active days and keep you on track for reaching your goals. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, can help you fuel up fast with ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and tackle everything on your to-do list. Too busy to cook this May? With Factor, skip the trip to the grocery store and skip the chopping, 
prepping and cleaning up too. Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are ready in just two minutes. So all you have to do is heat and enjoy, then get back outside and soak up the warmer weather. Going off script for this next part because I personally can't say enough how clutch Factor has been over the last two weeks. I'm talking Jalen Brunson clutch. I'm talking Allen Houston with four seconds against the Miami Heat in 1999 clutch. Whether it's a huge playoff game followed by a late night post game, I barely have time to prep and cook anything. So every time a post game has ended, I grab a factor meal from the fridge, put it right in the microwave, and in two minutes, I've got my dinner ready to go. The future Mrs. Claudio loves factor as well. With her busy schedule with meetings and writing reports all day, being just two minutes away from a healthy, well-cooked, pre-prepared meal is so convenient. This May, get Factor and enjoy clean eating without the hassle. Simply choose and enjoy fresh, flavor-packed meals delivered right to your door. Don't hesitate. Head to factormeals.com slash filmschool50 and use code filmschool50 to get 50% off your first box. Again, that's code filmschool50 at factormeals.com slash filmschool50 and get 50% off your first box. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. We are back with Fred Katz, although it's not, we're not actually back because this is the time that I'm talking to him before the time that you just heard. Uh, recording this at 11.46 a.m. on Tuesday, um, approximately eight and a half hours before we find out what the lottery ping pong balls did. So um, there will be no, no more, no further talk of that. Um, although I will ask you now because I can't ask you after the fact, Fred Katz, are you excited to be in the drawing room tonight? Well, John, I just wanted to, I wanted to talk about that crazy lottery we just saw. I mean, everybody knows you're lying about the time. I, I, there were some insane parts of the lottery, weren't there? Like I, so insane. I thought, I thought it was crazy that the Mavs got the number one pick. Knicks fans must be so upset about that it was also wild when adam silver got got canceled for saying that extremely offensive stuff that was crazy so uncharacteristic was, of him it just oh came my out goodness. of nowhere that was just like out of nowhere right i mean it was a crazy it was a crazy crazy lottery there it was weird that there was an avalanche in the middle of it in may an avalanche yeah. in chicago there aren't even mountains here i mean it was it was just crazy it was unpredictable definitely the craziest lottery ever for sure yeah. yes i'm very excited to be in the drawing room it's a reporter bucket list item of mine. Uh, and uh, I feel like we're recording. You ever seen Memento, John? I have not in a while, though. I I'm not the I'm not the brightest of folk, uh, Fred. I don't know if you've if you've learned that about me. So I every time I watch that movie, I find myself getting too lost in the sauce to actually enjoy the film. That's but that's on me. It's I, I love that movie. For those who don't know, that movie is is about a guy who has no short-term memory and the entire movie is backwards. It's a great movie. I, I feel like we're recording the memento of podcasts right now. This is like the Seinfeld backwards episode of podcasts. All, all I could think of is you tattooing various Russell Westbrook quotes all over your body and using that to find your way through life uh, in, in the NBA and outside of it. <laughs> that's, that's all I could imagine right now. Oh my God. Maybe with I, like I, Russ's face, like giant on your back. Like, I think that, I think that's what your life is, is missing. Yeah. Right don't, now, actually. I just have tattooed on my arm. Don't be a dickhead. Fred quote, Russell Westbrook. An actual Russell Westbrook quote. That? Yeah, that's an actual Russell Westbrook quote. That's the only one you need, though, because that's the only guiding yeah. principle that anybody needs. Don't be yeah. a dickhead. Yeah, don't be a dickhead, Fred. Quote that's Russell Westbrook. 
Really great. Uh, we're off to a rousing start. Hey, the Knicks. Um, the Knicks. How about the Knicks? Uh, hopefully, uh, as you are listening to this, in the possession of a of a lottery pick. But again, can't talk about that. Um, they are, however, in the possession of. Um, I think some still some some good vibes. Certainly, some good memories from this season. And as you wrote about uh, a few days ago. After after their game six loss to the Miami Heat in what was, I thought, a, an article that put a very positive spin on their season, as it should. Um, they're in an enviable position. So I kind of I want to start by like looking back a little bit and then we could start to try to move forward. Um, what what do you think, good or bad, like the main takeaways from this next season? should be the number one takeaway the number one most important thing good or bad the knicks can take away from this season is that they acquired a star last summer they were looking to acquire a star everybody thought they passed on the star when donovan mitchell got traded to cleveland and it turns out they got a star like a legit star like jalen brunson went from not a star last summer to maybe a star entering the postseason to, oh yeah, he's totally a star after we saw him in the postseason. Like they have their first star and that there is nothing more important on the positive or negative side than that. And it's very clear that that is an extraordinary positive. Can I give you a fun stat? I I looked this up today. I said, I hadn't seen this until right until yeah, literally an hour before we're recording. Um, Cleaning the glass does the on-off uh, differentials for uh, the playoffs as well as the regular season. And on offense, uh, Jalen Brunson, largest on-off differential uh, for offensive rating in the league. The Knicks uh, scored 113 points per 100 possessions when he was on the floor, which is like pretty good for the playoffs. And a, uh, I mean, just scorched earth scintillating 75 points. <laughs> For 100 possessions when he was off, uh, that differential is better than it was better than Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, uh, any other any other names you want to mention. So yeah, Jalen Brunson, pretty good. <laughs> Jalen Brunson, pretty good. I mean, look, that was I. I thought Tibbs. I didn't think Tibbs coached a terrible series at all in the Miami series. I thought and, I thought Spo beat him in the Miami series, but that was more about Spo. Just I. I, I, I I'm not convinced there's a better coach in the world than Eric Spolstra. Uh, and and it definitely showed during that series. I mean, that that entire coaching staff is so incredibly cohesive, so collaborative. You think Quinn gets yeah. a job this summer? Maybe. Possible. I mean, feels like he's been there for a while. Yes, it does. I mean, they they have a great they have a great staff. Like it's not just Spo. They have a great staff up and down, and they are smart and they are collaborative, and they come up with these crazy innovative ideas. And I know they have these these brainstorming sessions where they have like uh, they have like no ideas, a bad idea brainstorming sessions, and they just throw stuff out. And Spo's approach is if Spo hears something and doesn't really like it, he doesn't say, "Okay, we're not doing that." He stops the meeting and he says, "Okay, tell me more about that. Tell me why you think it works." And then they go and they go through stuff and, and he'll turn and that kind of stuff. Like they just have incredible, look, 
I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Knicks fans. Heat culture stuff is like no real thing. I joke. There's real truth thing. in jest. I joke real about thing. it because it's true. It's like how how can you look at what that organization has done over X number of years and think it's all it's all nonsense? It's, it's there's clearly a lot of validity to it. Yes, for sure. And, and I thought Miami just did an incredible job coaching that series and obviously playing that series. Uh, I will say I think my biggest question mark from Tibbs out of game six specifically was that lineup when he had neither Brunson nor Randall on the floor. Uh, And they were just like minus eight in like two minutes. And he played that lineup in game four and it got crushed for like 35 seconds. And I was like, okay, well there's, he's never doing that again. And it went for two minutes and it it got crushed and, and differential, you know, butterfly effect, but differential wise, like, that was yeah. the difference in the game. They lost by four, and that was a minus eight, that lineup, and couldn't create anything. I thought that was as much of a statement, though, on Emmanuel quickly not being there as much as it was on Jalen Brunson just having a rest. Because at some point, Brunson's got a rest. And let's be real. It's not like Julius Randle and RJ Barrett were having these unbelievable game sixes where it's or like, you know, you leave Randle out there and all of a sudden, you know, the offense is going to be better. Uh, so so it's um, a lot of that stuff, I think, has to do like the on offs. A lot of it has to do with just like quickly was hurt. And when he was there, he was a totally different player in the postseason run, too. So and yet somehow and stuff. And yet somehow they were better on the with quickly on the floor in the postseason than off. Now that said, their offensive his individual on court offensive rating was the worst of any non Deuce player on the team. Deuce's Deuce's on court offensive rating was like sixty five. Uh, it, it was not what you want, but yeah, no, I I completely agree with you on the quickly point. T- totally. Yeah. So you know, I think the biggest thing coming away from the season, getting back to the original point, is just like they've got a star. That's the hardest part of team building to acquire, getting a star. That's why teams tank. That's why teams clear out their whole roster for an entire season just to get expiring contracts, to get get cap space so they can sign some big star. That is why teams, that's why the Knicks waited for years to 2010 to try to get somebody like you want to get a star. It is the hardest thing to do and teams move heavens and mountains in order to make it happen. And the Knicks went out and just signed one to a descending contract. That's nowhere near the max. Uh, and he is a star. And that is by far the biggest thing. Uh, I, I look, I wrote a very pot. You're right. I did have a very positive spin on them losing to Miami. I, I thought it was a very positive season. They, they exceeded expectations. They created a, a really good hard playing culture. I thought a lot of the young guys made really impressive leaps. Randall recovery, whatever ends up happening with Julius Randall moving forward. We'll get he is in a better minute. place and the Knicks are in a better place with or without him uh, because of the season that he had. I thought RJ Barrett showed improvements during the playoffs, which I thought were very encouraging quickly made a big jump. Grimes made a big jump. Like they, they have all those picks. They're they won forty seven games and they came two wins away from the conference finals. Like they've they've they're a young team with a lot of draft picks. They're in a good position, which led you to write 
in that aforementioned article, which again, everybody should go read. Um, it was very, it was delightful. It was, I, cause I like wrote a, a largely positive thing, but it still helps to like read somebody else's positive thing, especially someone who has no dog in the fight and you have um, no dog in the fight. Um, you, you wrote very, just one, one, a one line paragraph management will have decisions to make this summer. Talk about, talk about slow playing the the reality of, of what it lies ahead. I said to, I said to Jeremy on our pod when we recorded last night that like this summer to me for the Knicks feels like they're walking into an all you can eat buffet with like, and not like a, a little all you can eat buffet. Like one of the, have you ever been to a golden corral? Yeah. Not since like college, but yeah, I was, I was in, uh, in Florida, like, Oh my god! It was before my wife and I. It was before I knew my wife. So like twelve, thirteen years ago, and I was I went to a Golden Corral one time. That is the largest buffet you will ever you will ever encounter. However, much of it is crap. So that is kind of my analogy for the summer. In that I think the Knicks will have a plethora of options at their disposal in terms of how they want to mix and match. I do think a lot of the things that could be available to them are perhaps roads to, to, to someplace that um, certainly many Knicks fans will not want to go, whether they are worth going down. But like, I think the, I think Leon Rose and his team for as much as they do have a lot of options, not that they're going to have their work cut out for them this summer, but I, I think it's, I, I inarguably, I think it's their hardest summer that they've had running the team. Would you, would you agree with that or, or disagree? Yeah, it's an interesting point. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it's their hardest because what they have next now is the most difficult leap to make. Exactly. I mean, the last few summers, they were, you know, that that first summer, they were just trying to get competitive, right? Mm-hmm. They were just trying to put together a decent squad. And you can do that. And they did it. They're 41 and 31. That was a, got the four seed. Yeah. Obviously a competitive squad, but it wasn't like a dangerous one. Uh, that that next summer, they were just kind of trying to find reinforcements, and obviously they failed. That was that was clearly their worst offseason since taking over the team with Leon, uh, when they signed Fournier and yep. signed Kemba and and all but, of that. But didn't fail in a way that was like over the top, um, hurtful to the long term. It, it did cause them some pain to be sure, but it wasn't like it didn't set them back. You know. Years, I think. No, obviously not, because then the following season they had their best year in ten years. So, yeah. so yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I, last summer was obviously their best summer because I thought the trades on draft night were fine. They were totally fine. I know they got a lot of heat for them. I thought they were fine. They ended up with two more first round picks than they had previously. That's that's not a some sort of disaster. Uh, the Brunson signing was the best free agent signing in the NBA of last summer yep. uh, and is now one of the most team friendly contracts in the NBA. Like if you're making a list of best contracts in the NBA, Jalen Brunson is on that list. That's how good that contract is. He's wow. going to be making like $23 million in, in year three. Like that, that is the, the max, the max is going to be like 50 and he's, he's going to be making half of it more. It, it's uh, more than that. Uh, well, maybe for his age, for his years. Yeah. Bracket, yeah, yeah. For the seven, no. for the seven to nine, for it's seven to it's, nine. Yeah. And, and he's going to be making half of, he's going to be making half of the max. And if he were a free agent right right now, oh, he's, he'd get the max He's a max player. 
he would get the max. Like I wrote that if he were a free agent, someone would give him the max in that story. And normally as a reporter, I'm like, oh, I have to go ask people like, you know, last year I did a story yeah. when RJ was eligible for yeah, extension. I'll probably do a similar thing for Obi and for, and for, uh, and for quickly this summer where it's like, I pulled a bunch of people who work in other front offices for what they would give those guys. Normally I'd reach out and be like, Hey, would you, would you give Jalen Brunson a max to at least a couple of people? I was like, I don't even need to do it. That's how certain I am that he would get the max from someone like a hundred percent. He would get the max from someone. He's that good now. And he's making half of it. So that, that is a phenomenal contract. The Hartenstein signing worked out great. Oh yeah. Uh, Turned out to be, I mean, dicey at first, but again, he, as you first reported, he was not healthy. Yeah. Worked out great. I mean, he's, he's one of the, at worst, one of the two or three best backup centers in the league. And, and the Mitch signing ended up fine. Mitch had a good year. It's totally fine contract. You look at what, you know, Jared Allen makes more than he does. And he just whacks Jared Allen in a playoff series. Uh, So, and, 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 and no question, he lost the battle to Bam, but Bam, in my opinion, is the third best center in the NBA behind Jokic and Embiid. So it's fine. Can I ask your opinion on something real quick with Mitch? No, no, I don't, I don't, I don't like to talk about the Knicks. Um, Anything but that. No, no, I'd rather not if that's okay. You want to talk about the Yankees? Are the Yankees good right now? I don't even know. They're like good by normal team standards, oh, but okay. like Yankee fans are all are all pissed because they're they have a terrible back half of the lineup and okay. and and all the the pitchers are hurt and everybody's hurt and they're not so that we as won't much as they could be. We won't talk about the Yankees. And Judge is carrying them once again. <laughs> I said Fred, Andrew puts in the chat. It could be much worse. I actually do know. I do know what Andrew is referring to, and I, I think I agree. Um, oh man, Matt's. Ooh. Yeah, we don't Yanks know. will be fine. They've had injuries. They'll be good. Um, speaking of injuries, there you go. Uh, smooth transition here. Do you think Mitch uh, was hurt uh, for the last however many games of the, from when he? What was that? The fall was in game one, right? I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I th- I think he was. He hinted at being banged up, but none of the guys wanted to talk about their injuries. Which credit to them, they don't want to make excuses. Even even after they lost the series, like uh, I think it was Begley asked Julius, "Now that the series is over, are you willing to talk about?" You know what what you were dealing with the ankle because obviously he was hurt going through stuff with the ankle, and Julius was still like, "No, I don't make excuses." Uh, so so credit to them for for not wanting to say anything. I didn't hear anybody complain about an injury that entire way through. I I, I think RJ was was dealing with something too. Really? Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know what, but he was he was definitely like banged up. He wasn't he wasn't all the way healthy. He made he made a comment to me about how like when I I asked him if if he was all the way healthy he was like and he just kind of shook his head was like this was after game six no 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 this was some point during the playoff run okay. some point in the Miami series I asked him if he was all the way healthy and 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 he was like nobody's all the way healthy right now so I think he might have been dealing with some stuff you know not like serious keep you out stuff but it's just like the playoffs everybody is is dealing with something that you're trying to play through. I think Mitch was probably dealing with something with the hip. I don't think that was the reason that he looked as ineffective as he did against Miami. That, that's what I was getting at. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought Bam did an unbelievable <laughs> job on him. 
Yeah. Uh, I thought he did an absolutely amazing job. If you watch, he was just boxing him out like crazy. And I thought the Miami guards did a great job getting around his screens. One thing, you know, we, we talked a lot about BAM screens. And when I say we, I mean, everybody who has any sort of association with the Knicks. I wrote, I wrote about it. I wrote about BAM's illegal screens. It's, and thank you for adding that adjective. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they are. It's just, they are. But they, 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 no great screen setter has ever set a legal screen. Tim Duncan wasn't out there being like, I'm a model citizen. I'm setting legal screens. Tim Duncan never set a legal screen in his whole damn career. That's why he's a great screener. Go ask Kevin Garnett if he ever set a legal screen. Uh, being a great screener is not setting really good legal screens. Being a great scener, screener is setting really illegal screens and finding ways to not get caught. Why mm. does Bam never get caught? I don't know. But it's not because he's not doing something. He is doing something to not get caught. We are just not smart enough to figure out what the hell it is, and neither are the refs. And that is what makes him so brilliant as a screen setter. So I, I don't, I don't really think it's a problem that Bam does what he does. It just makes him really damn good. But you know who else sets a lot of illegal screens? M- Mitch sets a lot of illegal screens. Mitch sets a lot of wide base screens, and, mm-hmm. and the Heat had that scouted out and got around them. They are so attentive to detail, and and they got around those screens really well, uh, which I thought. Add just add an extra dynamic that was difficult for Brunson, uh, mm-hmm. that was difficult for whoever he was screening over. M- Mitch also like wasn't being brought into the action as often as as he often is, especially when Bam was guarding him. Because like, yeah, you don't, yeah, you, you don't want to bring Bam in into the action. Uh, and when he gets kept off the offensive boards to a degree where he's not like absolutely dominant, it's just kind of tough for him to contribute in that sense too. Okay, that's a good transition. Um, I know I said we were going to focus more on the season that was, but like, um, I feel like everybody's more already more curious. But okay, it was a great season. How do how do we get better, John? I I, I promise you this: we will never run out of Knicks things to talk about. Well, I I know that. What's up, Knicks fans? Super excited to announce our new sponsor, Oakley. Express your style and build a look that's made just for you. Oakley's changing the game, and it's time to discover a whole new world of possibilities. Do you run, golf, train, or just want to look like your favorite athlete? Then you need to get yourself a pair of Oakleys today. Suited for everyday eyewear with frames and lenses allowing for an extension of self and an expression of your personality, with Oakley, there's more than meets the eye. Here at Knicks Film School, our motto is look good, play good and that's why oakley is the perfect partner for us not a one of us leaves the house in the morning without our oakley's and listen up because it's officially almost summer which means you need to upgrade your sunglass game now check out oakley.com to get yourself a pair today also did you know that oakley even offers prism lens technology now i know what you're thinking gmac what the hell is that Well, it's a technology solely used by Oakley and available for everyday settings as well. Want to know more? Head on over to oakley.com and check it out for yourself. And while you're there, get yourself a pair of everyday glasses. That'll be sure to change your look for the better. When you wear Oakley, there really is more than meets the eye. Don't trust me. Try it for yourself. I've worn a lot of sunglass brands in my life, and I can assure you that Oakley is not only the best looking, but the best quality out there. Head on over to oakley.com for more information today. I want to get back to Mitch because it it connects to what I, I what I want to focus on 
from here on in, which is the article that is just literally dropped um, as we are talking, I believe, and it will be out for people by the time they hear this, which is um, about the Knicks and their spacing concerns. Um, but and this is has a little bit to do with that too. Out of R.J. Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly, and Quentin Grimes, who do you think, considering both the regular season and the postseason, helped their perception around the league the most? Mm. I love that question. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. That's a great question. So you're not going to respond like Russ responded to you? <laughs> Stop being a dickhead, Harry. It'd be great if you responded to the question I asked with that. Yeah, don't be a dickhead, John. Uh, a dickhead, John. No, that's just implied whenever you ask a question. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. Yes. yeah. That, the, the tattoo is going to be on my forehead so that you could just see it. I never have to say it. <laughs> Please get that. Who helped their perception the most? I would still say quickly in spite of his postseason struggles. Okay. Because I think the perception of quickly was generally that he was an instant offense scorer off the bench. And I think the league, like everyone around the league considers him now to be this really, really, really good team defender. I think that's just generally accepted and really good defender overall, but especially team defender because that's yeah. his strength. Uh, and, and really good defender overall. And I think he refined his game enough to where people don't look at him as just an instant offense scorer. Now, I think there are definitely, I know there are definitely people who work in front offices around the league and who are decision makers in front offices around the league who still think of him long-term as, as a really, really good bench player. Okay. And not necessarily as your starting point guard, but there are definitely people in the league as well who think like, no, you give him a team, he'll do stuff. He'll be good on that front. So, so I think his perception has changed. I think it's skewed more to like, he's going to be an instant offense guy to now he is this, two-way guard who can be your starting point guard uh, in a lot of cases. And I think that that was definitely a change. Uh, RJ is more polarizing than quickly. Like a lot of the people who, I mean, you said it on one of your podcasts, like the people who were in on RJ never really <laughs> decided to be out on RJ. Yeah. And the people who were out on RJ mm -hmm. never like cannonballed all the way into the RJ pool. You know, I'm so in, I, I, I'm pretty in after the, the playoffs with the caveat that I still don't know that we're looking at like a multi-time all-star here. But like that, that playoff run that that showed me a lot more than I ever thought he could show me in the playoffs. I'll just say that. I agree. I agree. I mean, you think that was impressive. You just got Dean Wade's. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> what a showing. Unbelievable. He's hooping right now somewhere. Just refining his game. Dean Wade, Wade, Wade was doing uh, drills in his personal gym the other day. Knocked down seven out of 11 free throws. It was unbelievable. So building block. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was it was it was it was a step to success. It wasn't it a was. failure. Step to success. Uh, I. I think that's a fair point on RJ. I just think people generally perceptions, e even though the postseason is so much more important. I just think perceptions are going to swing over an 82 game sample. I also think RJ had a higher starting point 
than quickly did. Like oh, RJ yeah, just got, got a got a four year, hundred seven million dollar contract. You know, like he's he kind of dipped at the beginning of the season to where people were like, "Oh, is he going to be worth this contract?" And now it's like, okay, I'm cool with the contract. Yeah. Uh, whereas whereas quickly, you know, I think if you were trying to make up numbers, let's say last September about what quickly could get in an extension this upcoming summer, I think those numbers are. Low, probably lower than what they're going to end up being. Uh, Grimes, I feel like Grimes is just kind of exactly what people thought he I, was going to be. Yeah, I think he took the appropriate step. If that's Grimes did, Grimes did everything you would want him to do this year. Like he 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 did exactly what I think people with the Knicks thought he would do. He came out. He 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 refined his defense a little bit. He he had some really nice flashes. He they grew comfortable with him in the starting lineup. Grew comfortable with him guarding the other team's best player every night. Like competes insanely hard. I will say, like a million people hit me up about that that play where he hurt his knee and then got the oh, on Jimmy. Incredible that the the reaction from like people in basketball to that play was the same as it was. On like Instagram, it was people were like, "Holy crap, this dude is only a an absolute gamer would make that play," and that's it. No, no one who just like is is a front runner is going to make that play. <laughs> uh, so people were like, "Holy crap!" Like that was, I mean, that was an unbelievable, that was an yeah. unbelievable play. But that, I feel like people saw that and were like, "Damn, this dude was made for Tibbs." That's why Tibbs loves Grimes. Tibbs uh, always loved Grimes. Not because Tibbs loves Grimes, although obviously Tibbs seems to be the only coach who's not getting fired uh, th- these days. Yeah, you see Doc. You see Doc. Doc is out. Man, I don't want to. While I, we're podcasting, I don't want to do a whole a whole coaches thing. It's just like, it's just amazing that all these teams find success with such incompetent coaches at the helm. It's just it's just wild. Um, no good coaches. There are no good. Exactly, there are no good coaches. There, there's People, one. There's Spo. People uh, wanted well, people wanted Spo fired. Kerr, people wanted him fired during the LeBron years. People wanted Spo fired. Yeah, Spo no. is like Spo is like Spo is going to go down as one of the ten best coaches ever. I think he might be like on that. I think he, I think a little higher. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. And people want Spo fired. Yeah. Warriors fans want Steve Kerr out. Yeah. Well, we don't have to talk no about one, that. Nobody yeah. likes nobody likes their coach. Nobody likes their coach. Well, except the me. The only team that likes their coach is the Spurs. It's the only team that likes their coach. Um, and yes, and, and funny enough, they were the worst team in the NBA. Yeah, and they still and they still complained about like Popovich, you know, taking too many mid range jumpers. You know, well, uh, it's in it's in Antonio. They're just happy to have a basketball team. Uh, so yeah, Doc Doc's out. Um, Tibbs apparently will stay. I don't think I don't think that's why Quentin Grimes is is going to be here. Like, I'll, I'll, let me just say this. I think out of the three players I just asked you about, quickly, Grimes and, and RJ, if I had to put my, again, my imaginary $100 chip on which one of these players do you feel most secure in being on the roster next year, I would say Grimes. Um, yeah, and you, you agree? Oh, yeah, 100% for two reasons. Uh, for two reasons. Number one, he doesn't have an impending contract situation because he just finished up his second year. Quickly, is extension eligible. Uh, number two, because I don't, I think he is the, the beauty of Grimes is that 
he does not, you can plop him into any sort of situation, into any sort of offense, any sort of defense next to any sort of star next to any sort of role player. And he is going to contribute on both sides of the ball without affecting your ecosystem. You don't have to be like, Oh, Quentin Grimes is here. So we got to run a different offense or Oh, Quentin Grimes is here. So we can't run this specific kind of pick and roll defense. Like you don't have to do that. And with RJ, he's now RJ has a higher ceiling than Grimes in all probability, Sure, but he's going to affect your ecosystem. RJ is there. You're going to be like, okay, we have a wing who is like, you know, a penetrating wing who is not going to chuck threes all the time and isn't really going to be a spacer. And you have to figure out ways to, to integrate him there. Um, you know, quickly is a ball handler. You're not just going to have him out there and just spot up shoot. That wouldn't be a proper use of his skill set. Uh, and quickly also has the contract situation coming up where, you know, who knows what happens in extension negotiations. Uh, also like, there are de- the argument to be made. Both those guys have higher trade value than Grimes right now. So when star X comes on the market and the Knicks so are like, yeah. I went in on that guy. Grimes might not be the piece, but RJ and quickly might. So you're, you're beating me the punch and this is what I wanted to get to. So the article again, that just dropped is you talked about the Knicks spacing concerns and you kind of pitch the notion that, well, maybe it's a schematic thing or a system thing, or, Maybe there needs to be a serious discussion about the personnel, and um, you, I think, imply the fact that just getting you know somebody to to come off the bench uh, that might not be enough because structurally, this team. I mean, we just talked about how RJ some spacing concerns. You got to run a specific type of offense for him. Um, Julius Randle, even with the, uh, the 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 you know entry into the three point. Um, contest at the all-star weekend this year uh still not exactly a guy who is going to you know strike fear into teams hearts uh outside and that's not where he wants to be either we just talked about mitchell robinson who uh you want to talk about a guy who is a a non-spacer and you just mentioned quickly and like yes quickly could shoot but as you as you discussed he's not like that he's not going to juice your spacing in that way and also you're never going to, I don't, I mean, I was a never say never. I don't think the Knicks are ever going to start quickly alongside Jalen Brunson. I mean, that's his, as long as he is here, I would think the odds are he will continue to come off the bench, presuming everybody's healthy. Well, John, I'll tell you what, even if they do start him over Brunson, I think that would hurt his space, their spacing. Well, his yeah. Grimes is, Grimes a better spacer than quickly. Exactly. D- defenses, forget about percentages, forget about anything else. Defenses stick closer to Quentin Grimes than they do to Emmanuel quickly. Period. Yep. And that's what spacing is. People conflate spacing with shooting. People think you need more shooting and thus you get more spacing. And they're not the same thing. They are related, yep. often related, but there are guys who are good shooters and not good spacers because defenses don't give a crap about them. Look at uh, jo- look no further than Josh Hart in this postseason, and after he came to the Knicks, he hit literally I think half of his threes. Miami, he did give a fuck. They yep. played fifteen feet off him. Totally. And then when it kicked to Josh, what happened? He often just penetrated anyway into the crowd. Yeah. Like not not a good spacer. Very good at many other things. Not a good spacer. Uh, so so Grimes is the best spacer they have to put in the starting lineup. I think that's why I don't think that's why we saw Grimes go back in for heart. I know that's why we saw Grimes go back in for heart because Tibbs said 
the spacing was something that he he thought was really important. That's why he played 48 minutes in game five. Uh, I, I, I was, I was surprised that Grimes didn't get more fourth quarter minutes in game six too, because of that. I, I, when they were really struggling to score and when Brunson was just being absolutely mauled and was somehow scoring overall over and through and around and under all those crowds. Anyway, I was, I was surprised that we didn't see Grimes go out there till like two minutes left in the game. Tibbs, well, Tibbs likes doing those late. late subs, but yeah, it was too late. Uh, I, I, that's why I think like, if you want better spacing, like, yeah, you can go out, you can get a better shooter as a stretch four than Obi Toppin. Uh, you can get an extra wing who shoots threes to come off the bench. And then you have those guys and you have Hart, and you have Grimes in the starting lineup. You have quickly, like you can, you can do that. But the problem is your team structurally is built so that as is so that you have a non shooting center on the floor, along with Julius Randall, along with RJ Barrett in the closing moments. And when Jalen Brunson is trying to infiltrate the lane, that means there are going to be at least three non shooters around him when he's trying to do that in the most important moments of the game. I was about, and in the most important moments of the season, again, the Knicks proved they could get around these issues during the regular season. They had one of the greatest offenses of all time. It's as we just saw, it's a different animal in the playoffs. That's yeah. Yes. Yes, for sure. And, and they absolutely can get through it in the regular season. We just saw it third and tied for third in points allowed per possession during the regular season because they never turned the ball over because they had an incredible offensive rebound rate because they were a great one-on-one team. People, associate isolation basketball with just like bad unimaginative basketball and and it doesn't have to be like they were really good at isolation basketball julius randall was really good at isolation basketball during the regular season uh but when the space in a playoff series it's just really tough and we saw that against miami who just packed the paint and the knicks couldn't do anything about it the knicks had the knicks had the worst offensive efficiency during the playoffs of any team that won a playoff series of the 16 teams that made the playoffs. They are 13th in points per possession out of those 16th in the playoffs. Like they, they really struggle to score. I got one more for you. Yeah. They dip from 117 points per hundred to 107 points per hundred. Hold on. I I, I, I dug up this stat today. The Knicks um, in uh, they had the, Lowest effective field goal percentage of a team that won at least six playoff games since the, make sure I get the year right, um, since the 2015-16 Toronto Raptors. Wow, it's so funny you say the 2015-16 Toronto Raptors. Because I was going to say, it felt like what happened to them was the team version of what used to happen every year to DeMar DeRozan. There you go. So it's so fun. That's so fun. That's the last team to win at least six playoff games with an effective field goal percentage lower than the Knicks had in these playoffs. Yeah. I mean, what would happen to DeMar DeRozan in the postseason was that he would, he would run into walls during the regular season. And because he was (laughs) DeMar, he would, he would, he would crash through them and be fine. Gets a line all the time. And he wasn't getting a lot of those calls in, in, in the playoffs that he that he got during the regular season. And he, he wasn't having that kind of success and better defenses knew how to load up on him. And it was tough. And it felt like a lot of those dynamics played into the Knicks, but and getting back. Yeah. So just one more thing. It's funny that you bring up the Rosen because I, it was a week ago that I looked it up. So 
maybe the, it's changed a little bit. I don't think it did, though. Um, I went back over the, the entire three-point era, uh, looking at everybody who I think what were the metrics I used in the postseason, um, total postseason performance. So not just one postseason, all of their postseason games. I think minimum of 10 postseason games and like a minimum of 15 shots per game. Um, the lowest effective field goal percentage out of 83 players was Julius Randle. A smidgen above him was Michael Ray Richardson, who um, played 40 some odd years ago. And then the next spot up in 81st place, wouldn't you know it, DeMar DeRozan. There you go. Yeah. Props. To, you know, I'll say props to DeMar DeRozan. Yeah, totally made changed. Yeah. Totally did, decided not to change his game. Was like, I'm going to play <laughs> the same way. Yeah. And then actually made it work. Made it work. Yeah. Like decided, you know what? I'm not going to stop just shooting all these mid-range shots. It just, instead of shooting 39% on the mid-range shots, I'm just going to shoot 48. And that's what he just does now. And he's so good now. And he's Borderline a Hall of Famer. That is an interesting conversation. It, it, look, look, I mean, you know, I know you know this stuff as well as I do. It's He has a very real case. I haven't really thought about it, but that that's it's, an interesting one. And he, if he keeps playing and keeps just piling up stats, he's gonna, he's gonna have the accolades. He's gonna have the the, the counting stats and a couple of standouts. Anyway, we don't have to talk about the murder Rosen. That's um, a very interesting one. Anyway, so I mean, with the Knicks, if if that's how your roster is constructed, to where you're gonna play a center, probably Mitch, Julius, and RJ around those guys, then you're gonna have to deal with the fact that like you're not going to have the optimal spacing late, which means that if you want optimal spacing in the most important moments, especially in a playoff series, you know, closing games when you're playing your best guys, like you need to make potentially a personnel change, a structural change to where you move on from Mitch or you move on from Julius or you move on from RJ or you move on from maybe even two of those guys. And, and that whatever that move is, will be a very, difficult one to try to decide on unless somebody offers them Giannis for RJ straight up, in which case you probably do that. And we, we have to add in also, I, I don't want to group Julius and RJ in defensively in the same bucket because they should not be grouped in the same bucket, even though during the regular season this year, you can certainly group them in the same bucket. I think RJ was certainly better defensively in the playoffs. And I think RJ has a higher defensive ceiling. I, I don't think that's any question than Julius Randle. But like when you factor in, in addition to the spacing concerns, the fact that Julius Randle is, it's just so, like, I don't ever see a world where Julius Randle is not a defensive concern during these sorts of levels of games. And RJ, while he, I think, got better in the postseason, I, I'm not even sure if we could ever count on RJ being. I don't, I don't want to choose my words carefully. Like a super high level wing defender, given like a position. I don't know. I, I, that may be being too harsh. I don't know what, how you feel about RJ's defensive ceiling, but I think that's part of the conversation as well. I thought RJ was good defensively in the playoffs. I thought he did a really good job defensively. I thought he was like legitimately good. With he, some moments had, that were where he, it seemed like they were targeting him a little bit and, and got, uh, you know, somewhere on that. But I agree, agree with you. He was good in the playoffs. Yeah, but he played played hard, had some good moments on Darius Garland, executed their schemes really well. He was disciplined. He he ran back hard in transition, played super hard the whole run. Like game six, yeah, he shoots to one for 10. He played really hard in that game. Like no one's going to knock RJ's effort at all. During the regular season, I thought there were moments where like, ooh, defensive effort, 
not really there right now. Uh, during the postseason, I don't think that's a reasonable critique of him at all. I thought he he played he played with a ton of energy defensively, stayed within their schemes, did a good job helping from the weak side when he needed to. Uh, I I I I thought he was good defensively in the playoffs. I really did. Um, yeah, Julius, I I I. I wouldn't even hint at them being in the same category, to be honest, defensively. No. Uh, Ju- Julius, even when RJ is not great, he, he well, let's say, let's say when RJ is at his worst defensively, take his absolute worst defense, when you could just tell the he's kind of meandering, right? Even when he's at his worst defensively, I think you're capable of building a really good defense around him. Oh, for sure. Like you, it doesn't stop you. From having a really good defense, when Julius is at his worst defensively, yeah. it can stop you from having a really good defense. He could just you could just be playing four on five. You know, he could just not be running back uh, in transition, which which happened even in Game Six. There's right. times where he just didn't run back in transition. It's it's hard to analyze because you know he's dealing with the ankle, but then there are other times where you see him guard, and it's like, okay, well, like the ankle injury is not preventing you from having your hands up on that closeout. Like you ran out for the closeout, but you just didn't put your hands up. Like that's not, that's not the ankle injury. Uh, it's not preventing you from having your hands out when you guarded that pick and roll, even though you're in the right place. So, so it's, it's hard. It's really hard, especially after what we've seen, you know, when, when he's at his normal state to give him the benefit of the doubt in those sorts of situations. Uh, and, and Julius, when he's at his worst, I, when he's at his worst, when he's at his best, he could he could switch a little bit and he could be energetic and and he could be helpful. Like he is capable of being good at defense. Uh, but when he's at his worst, it's just like, oh brother, and you're you're in trouble. And if you and I think with all I, I mean, I don't say this offhandedly with all due respect, because my God, is it hard to make all NBA in the freaking league? Look at some of the guys that just can't, couldn't make it this year, have never made it. With all due respect to two, two all NBA selections, and those are valuable and they have meaning. I just don't know how they are supposed to approach this offseason with the if you see this from the things you just talked about, if you see this in the playoffs in a, in an elimination game in the playoffs, how do you, and then after what you saw two years ago, which is kind of a different animal, but that still is on the resume as well. I don't know how you can feel confident going forward unless, unless you say, all right, well, last summer we slotted Julius from the top dog to the number two. What happens if we slot him from the number two to the number three? doesn't take away the defensive concerns, but like if he's now suddenly your number three, well then maybe you don't need to have him out there, you know, at the end of like every close and now and that relates goes back to Tibbs and like that it gets into a whole nother conversation. I, I let's see we get ended here because we're we're running over time, but like I think there is a semi obvious path that will nonetheless be potentially extraordinarily difficult to execute because uh, all the shit we're talking about, I, I would guess Fred and you talk to, to executives to help far more than I do. I would imagine a bunch of people around the league are having the same conversations or maybe they don't, they aren't because they don't need to because they didn't see anything. They didn't already know. 
Yeah. I mean, or, or you change the personnel around Julius. I'm not saying that you completely change your defensive strategy because of Julius Randall, because that would be silly, but, or, or you just change the personnel around, around Julius and you happen to get guys who were kind of all switchy. I, I think the best point I ever heard about Julius's defense was made by our guy, Benji Ritholtz. I know where you're going with this, where he talked about why is Julius sometimes legitimately good? And why is he other times just so stationary? Benji made the point, and it's impossible to unsee once you see it. Benji made the point. He, he just succumbs to inertia. When you put Julius in movement, he'll keep moving. <laughs> but when you don't actually shove him into that movement, the movement isn't really going to start on its own. And you know, I, I I wonder like if if they go out. Let's say there's a star available to make a big star trade, and they trade for some do everything awesome wing who can guard a million guys and shoots and creates and all that stuff. You know, I, I for for let's say the Clippers blow it up. I was about to in, say you you're, you're describing you Paul, Paul <laughs> right? You bring in Paul George, CAA client. Paul George, friend of Julius Randall, I think, aren't they like kind of tight? Yes, they are. And, and Paul George would be perfect for them. Well, we've, perfect. we've talked about this, Fred. Oh, <laughs> he would be, per- that is, that is the guy. That's the guy. He would be perfect for them. Like all the things people said about OG and Anobi, it's like that times a million with Paul George, you know, like he would he would be perfect for them. But, you know, let's say you bring in that kind of guy and and you're able to bring in a, a more kind of switchy center as well. And now all of a sudden you got, you got PG and, and you, you got Grimes out there and you got Brunson and, and, you know, maybe you hold on to quickly or something like that. You got Hart probably coming off the bench. You got Hart who can switch on to a million switch. guys. Yep. Like now all of a sudden you are able to put together a different sort of defensive strategy. And it's probably the one that Julius is the best at. Like I've talked about it with Julius before where he, he is the most comfortable when he's able to switch. And, and I think I believe him. I, I, I think that's when he's at his, his best, his best defensive moments are when he's in that kind of stuff. Now, all of a sudden, you're talking about a defense, which is not the Tom Thibodeau style of defense. I was about to say, that's, seeing you're not seeing Tom Thibodeau's tune. At all. That said, I don't know. Tibbs a lot more adaptable than he used to be. Like, so who knows? But I'm just saying, like, that. that's the way. I'm not predicting this to happen at all. I'm just saying, I think, like that's a way where we see Julius defensively kind of be different, but in terms of the type of defense that they play strategically right now, I just, it's, it's, it's a problem. It's a problem. And yet, and yet I think they defended well enough in these playoffs to advance to the next round. Now it, you could say uh, Miami is a, a very weak offensive team comparatively for most teams that would make it to the Eastern conference finals. And they would have had uh hellfire coming their way in the next round against Boston. We'll never know, but I think that's a very, very fair argument. Um, they defended very well in the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, Mitch, Mitch was incredible defensively during the first round. 
Yes. Hartenstein was incredible defensively during the first round and I thought had some some good moments in the Miami series. Was was great defensively in game two, I think it was, and great defensively in game six. Uh had had some really, really good moments around the rim. Hartenstein did. I mean, Hart Hart is good. Grimes had good moments. Yeah, they have pieces. Yeah. You know, they have they have the RJ was good. Like they they have good defensive pieces. They play on a string. They play really, really hard. The the bigger issue defensively was honestly transition defense. Oh. Which they have to shore up. Which is why the turnover number and the fact that they turned it over the second most times of any playoff team and a frequency, second highest frequency of any playoff. More more uh the only one that turned it over more was the Cavs, who who they themselves forced into a lot of those turnovers. But that was what made um Made that so especially frustrating. I don't know. Listen, we could talk about this for hours upon end. I'm sure we will talk about it more this offseason, but it's why I, I, you know, I think for as great as their opportunity is ahead of them, it's, it's daunting. I just, I don't know how else to say it. I think it's a, it's a daunting summer and, uh, you know, it's easy to say, just run it back, right? Don't, you know, run it back. No move is better than a bad move. And while I agree with that in theory, Something tells me, something tells me, Fred, we are not going to be sitting here doing our season preview next October and talking about the exact same roster. I, I, I would, I would be fairly surprised if that were to be the case. Agreed. Okay. Glad we're on the same page. Uh, okay, Fred, I, I've kept you too long and I'm not even talking about the time that we uh, already talked, which of course didn't happen yet. Uh, go read Fred Katz at The Athletic. Um, he is amazing. His articles are amazing. Uh, you could also follow him on Twitter. Why am I doing your promo for you? What's your Twitter at Fred Katz? Just at Fred Katz. At Fred Katz. Um, yeah, I can't say we're going to talk again because soon because we're, we're not. That didn't. That, that, yeah, that, it, it, the whole thing. Oh yeah, it's on the screen. There you go. Yeah, we'll talk. We'll 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 talk. Yeah, we talk like a lot. We're in a very active talk. group text. That's probably way too much. Yeah. Um, all right, uh, Fred Catcher, the man. Uh, thank you as always. Long live uh, Russell Westbrook. Quotes. Oh, I'm signing all the way off. Uh, and thank you everybody for listening to another episode of Nick's Film School Podcast we'll be back with more fun and games before you know it uh, casual Fridays the whole thing and uh, talk to you soon peace out Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.